I like it when it works. Welcome. If you don't mind, uh, please turn to John chapter 7. Just going to look at two verses. John chapter 7, and it's verses 37 and 38. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much just for that time of worship, time of refreshment. And even now, Father, as we open your word, we ask that you open up our hearts and our minds and our ears that we would just see you in new ways. We know that we fail so much and so often and so short of your perfect plan for us. And even now, Father, we ask that you would speak to us, each one of us individually, through your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So let me read this to you right now. In John chapter 7, verse 37, it says, On the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And, and I'm going to say that it's a very familiar verse, and you've probably heard it before. But I, I'm going to just ask you just to look at it with me tonight afresh. I want to point out three words, and they're life-changing words. Thirst, come, and drink. That's really the call of salvation. These three words are simple, but they're impactful. On the last day of the feast, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. This is a true story, a sad story. In July 17, 2006, it was the second day in the blazing Utah desert. David Broskow was in bad shape, pale, Wrecked by cramps, his speech splurred. The 29-year-old New Jersey man was desperate for water and was hallucinating. He even started talking to a tree, thinking it was a person. After roughly 10 hours without a drink in 100-degree heat, he finally dropped dead of thirst, face down in the dirt, less than 100 yards from his goal. The goal was a pool of water in a cave. 
But Bushkow was no solitary soul. He wasn't alone lost in the desert. He was with 11 other people from various walks of life, led by expert guides on a wilderness survival adventure designed to test their physical and mental toughness. The guides, in turn, were actually carrying emergency water on, on that torrent summer day. Butchkow wasn't told that, and he wasn't offered any. The guides didn't wanna, want him to fail this $3,000 course, and they wanted him to dig deep, push himself beyond his known limits, and make it to the cave on his own. David Bushkow's death was tragic. Water was readily available, but the life-saving water wasn't offered to him. Very sad. In today's Bible verse, we read Jesus is offering life-saving water that will nourish our inner being. And let me first set the background for this chapter. This historic event takes place in Jerusalem approximately six months before Jesus is brutally crucified and rises from the dead. In verse 37, it says the great day of the feast. And if you look back on in verse 2, it says now the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand. Now, the Feast of Tabernacles was a time where the nation of Israel would get together and have, it was like a Thanksgiving, like our Thanksgiving. Just everyone would get together and be very thankful. And they would be thankful, really, for three things. They would be thankful that God provided and protected them for 40 years in the wilderness. They would be thankful, secondly, for what God did and is doing in the land with their crops and all their vegetation and the way that he's providing. And thirdly, they were thankful for the promise of the coming Messiah. So this was a very festive time. If you could imagine, thousands and thousands of people were packed into Jerusalem. Uh, Josephus, a... Jewish historian estimated that in the time of Jesus, two and a half million people would come into the city for this event. The outline, the outline of the command of them going, all the males and so forth, is given in the book of Leviticus. And it says, And you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord for seven days in the year. And it shall be a statute forevermore in your generation. You shall celebrate it in the seventh month. You shall dwell in booths. And what they would do is make these booths with leaves and so forth, and they would stay inside them. And then they would be able to tell their children how God provided for them in the wilderness. In verse 43, it says, And and that your generation may know that I made the children of Israel dwell in booths, that I brought them out of the land of Egypt, and I am the Lord your God. 
Now, please know that when God gave Moses this command, it was almost 1,400 years ago. So you could imagine some of the traditions and so forth that came into play. So here is, is one of them. The high priest with a, with, with a big procession would take a, a golden um, vessel and would march down to the pool of Siloam and they would fill it with water each day. And then they would march up singing all the way up to the temple and then they would pour out the water. And when they poured out the water, the people would be reminded about how God provided water out of the rock when they were in the wilderness all those years. And then they would say this this scripture from Isaiah, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For Yah, the Lord, is my strength and song. He has also become my salvation. Therefore, with joy, we'll draw water from the well of salvation. And here in their midst is the fulfillment of this. Jesus, the Messiah, is on the scene, walking. And on that last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, looking for thirsty people, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. The last day, I often wondered, why did he wait to the last day? And then I thought, he waited to the last day because he knew that after all that religious activity, there wouldn't be a fulfillment. They would still be empty. And, and, and I was reminded when I was thinking about that of when I was a kid going through religious activities and never being fulfilled, always wanting more. That last day of the great feast, Jesus stood. Why did Jesus st- stand? Because he wanted to proclaim God's truth. He cried out. Why did he cry out? He wasn't afraid. There was people there that wanted to kill him in this chapter. You'll see that. But he wasn't afraid. Jesus didn't hide, but stood and cried out boldly. He cried out to all who thirst, and he invited them to come and drink. Jesus' invitation for thirsty people was broad. Because it said, if anyone, if anyone, anyone is, is compared to whoever. That's a popular word in the Bible, in the New Testament. Jesus said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that, son, that whoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Peter said in the book of Acts, And it shall come to pass that whoever or anyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be 
saved. And Paul in Romans said the same thing. Whoever or anyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. The invitation was broad because it said, if anyone, meaning any color skin, any race, any nationality, any economic status, any class of people, any intelligence, any political party, you can be high, you can be low, you can be rich or poor, young or old, slave or free, Jew or Gentile, anyone. No limitations on Jesus inviting people, except one. There was one, one exception. They must be thirsty. The invitation becomes much narrower by adding the word thirsty. At the feast, Jesus is looking for thirsty people. Jesus called out to those people in the crowd. He called out to those in the same chapter, chapter that rejected him, that questioned him, that wanted to kill him. He was calling out to them. Jesus is calling out the thirsty people then, and he's calling out the thirsty people now. At the Feast of Tabernacles, the nation of Israel was remembering how God supernaturally provided water for them in the desert. They had an absolute physical need for water. We see in Scripture that they complained to Moses often about water. Why? The people needed water to survive. And guess what? God provided that water. There's a general rule that a person can survive three days without water. That's providing that they have shelter and they're not working or hiking in 100-degree weather. Water is essential to the human body. The average body is more than 50% water. Water supplies in the desert are, are very scarce. And looking at the water population in the world, 71% of the Earth's water, water covers 71% of the Earth's surface. 97% of the Earth's water is found in the ocean. 3% is found in fresh water. And of that 3% in the fresh water, there's only about 0.5%, 0.05% that's available for us to drink. Say, saying all that, most people, including me, in the United States, take water for granted. I got a bottle of water right here, and if I want to drink, there it is. If I go home, I turn on the faucet, there's the water. If I want to cook, boil something, there's the water. Take a shower, there's the water. Make coffee, I have water. Take it, take, do anything I want, the numerous things we do with water. But it's not so like that for everybody. I was on a, a short missionary tour, just a week or so, in, in Mexico, Bishinova. 
And I, we had a long day. We were building. At that night, we went, we had dinner, we had good fellowship, but we were all cleaning up. And when I, I said, I'll do the dishes, so I started doing the dishes the way I normally do the dishes all the time, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I, I help out a lot. Um, but I started doing the dishes, and the, the person there, the missionary, said to me, oh, you got to shut the water off, because I had the water running. I was washing them with the water running, rinsing them, putting them. She said, no, you, you have to take a dirty pan, put the pan in the sink, put the soap, fill that dirty pan up with water, and now you do your dishes all with that same amount of water. We, we have a very limited amount of water. We use water without even thinking about it. And it's quite a complicated process of how water gets to us. Where, where, where I used to work, and, and, I, and uh, we did assessment center or testing for people that were going to be hired to purify the water. And I would sit in there in some of these exams and listen to the presentations. And it's pretty complicated how that water is recycled back to us. In a book that my wife just reminded me of, A Long Walk for Water, uh, written by Linda Soup uh, Park, it tells, it's a novel, but it has some, a blend of, of facts of a, of a war in southern, war-torn South Sudan, and how this 11-year-old girl walks hours every day to get water. That's basically what she does. She walks to get water. She has to worry about getting attacked by lions, by rebels, snakes, all that, and bringing water back. And she did this day after day, only to find out that the water that she was bringing back was contaminated and making everybody sick. So then they had to raise funds, dig a, dig a hole and uh, dig a well and all that. But can you imagine a day without water? Think about that for a moment. What would the firefighters do? What would hospitals do to clean up? How would restaurants operate, hotels? How would the farmers water, irrigate, or, or take care of the cattle? Jesus here uses a physical thirst to point to a spiritual thirst. People need water to live physically, but people also need Jesus to live spiritually. Many people thirst for things, worldly things, that do not, cannot satisfy. Remember what Jesus said to the woman in Samaria. He said, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing forth into everlasting life. What is this water? This water is worldly stuff. Money, pleasure, fame, possession, anything not spiritual. 
anything not lasting. Our bodies are three pots, body, soul, and spirit. And the body wants air, the body wants water, the body wants food. The, the soul wants love, wants security, but the spirit in us wants God. On the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Blaise Pascal said this, There is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of each man which cannot be satisfied by any created thing, but only by God the Creator, made known through Jesus Christ. And the problem is, in Jeremiah, it's a sad verse, where God is crying out, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and hewn or dug themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. So, thirst. Are we thirsty? I am. This world is not going to satisfy. So I might personally made the decision to, to come. And what does come mean? It means to go from one place to another. From point A to point B. From an unbeliever to a believer. To unrighteous to righteous. To worldly pleasure to spiritual fulfillment, from being earthly-minded to being heavenly-minded. In the book of Revelations, it says, And the Spirit and the Bride say, Come. And let him who hears say, Come. And let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. The invitation itself is to come to Jesus. But we can only drink for ourselves. We can't drink for others. We can't drink for our spouses. We can't drink for our children. We can't drink for our grandchildren. We need to come to Jesus. Notice it doesn't say come to world philosophy. It doesn't say come to government. It doesn't say come to world leaders, to religious leaders, to religion, to man of any kind. It doesn't say come to science, come to technology. No, it says come to me, come to Jesus. Not come to yourself, but come to Jesus. And when you get there, drink. 
This is not a difficult action to drink. What does Jesus mean by calling people to himself to drink? Drink is to receive, to be nourished. Not a glance at water, not a smell, but to actually take it in. Take in Jesus. Then you will receive the drink that satisfies, a guaranteed satisfaction. Let us come and drink to all who drink will be refreshed. And not only will you be refreshed, but you'll be able to refresh others. On that last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. To come to Jesus and drink is essentially to believe in who he is, to put your faith in him, trust in him, rely on him, cling to him. He who believes in him is a saving faith. Not believing in yourself, not believing in your degrees, your education, your wealth, your fame, your possession, your anything. But come to him. As the scripture says, there's no specific passage in scripture quoted here, but there's many, many scriptures that show the, the physical and the spiritual thirst being fulfilled. For I will pour water on him who is thirsty and floods on dry ground. I will pour my spirit on your descendants and my blessing on your offspring. You see both here, the physical thirst and the spiritual thirst. This is one of my favorites here. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you have no money, come, buy and eat. Yes, come, buy wine and milk without money without price. What does this mean? Who's invited? Everyone. You, me, the poor, the damaged, the blind. The offer of life, of salvation is to all. What's the qualifications to come? All who thirst. All who realize this world will never satisfy. What's the cost? The gift offered is priceless. So no price can be set. But the full price has been paid by the precious blood of Jesus Christ himself. Where's the invite to? To the living water, Jesus Christ, the nourishment of your souls. Yes, come to Jesus. In this one verse, we see the promise of grace in the invitation of abundant life. Yes, come freely, come quickly, even now come to our Savior, our Lord. Yes, everyone who thirsts, let him come to the waters without money, without price. Complete satisfaction. Jesus is the constant source of spiritual life and 
perfect satisfaction. He's saying, if you thirst, to come and drink. Not only will you be blessed, but you'll be a blessing to others. Where it says in verse 38, He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart or his belly or his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Out of the heart will flow rivers of living water. For the one who does believe in him, Jesus offers a continual river of living water out of your innermost being, just gushing out. And, and who doesn't want that? Who doesn't want to be a blessing to others in that way? Yes, you're going to drink. You're going to take a sip. You're going to take Jesus in. And now because you, you, you thirst and you came and you drank and you've taken him in, now it's going to flow out of, from your life and you're going to bless other people. And other people will be quenched. Other people will be blessed. Other people will find fulfillment. The living water is running water. It's in motion. Rivers of living water is flowing constantly in, in and through the life of those who drink the water that Jesus offers. Jesus did not only speak of something coming into the person, but he speaks of something flowing out. You cannot outgive Jesus. And, and, and in this particular case, you, you're not given nothing. He's given you a drink. And not only will it quench your thirst, but it's going to gush out of you abundantly and bless others. A beautiful example I found that I think covers the thirst and the coming and then the drinking. I find in the Old Testament in the book of Numbers. And what, what led me there is the conversation that Jesus had with Nicodemus. If you remember in chapter 3, Nicodemus came to Jesus at night, and at the end of this chapter when they were trying to kill Jesus, Nicodemus was defending him the best that he could. But in chapter 3 of the Gospel of John, Nicodemus comes to him at night, has like this private conversation with him, and in that conversation, Jesus says to him, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So there's another whoever or anyone who believes in him. So you you uh, might ask yourself, but what, when did that happen? When did Moses lift up a serpent in the wilderness? In 
Numbers 21, it says, Now they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and our souls loathe this worthless bread. So he's saying they don't have food, but then they're complaining about the bread. So the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and many of the people of Israel died. Therefore, the Lord came to Moses and said, excuse me, therefore the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent, set it on a pole, and it shall be that anyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent, put it on a pole, and so it was. If a serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. And here's a, a picture of both. Could you imagine being in the wilderness with somebody and you tell them they, they just got bitten and you tell them all you have to do is to look right there at this pole there's a bronze serpent on there just look at that pole well I, I, I'm not sure it's going to work no it's going to work that's what God said all you have to do is look I don't think it's going to work and they, they fight and they argue. See, I, I see in this story, the thirst is when they, they realize that they sinned. And then they come is when they pray to the Lord. And then they drink when any one of them looks to the bronze serpent and lives. And Jesus points out right here, that's the same example that Nick, Jesus is telling Nicodemus is for us. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes, looks into, in him, should not perish but have everlasting life. All have been bitten by sin. That's the thirst. Come, whoever, anyone who thirsts, come to Jesus. Drink you should, so you don't perish and you'll have eternal life. I, I started the study, like I said, wondering why Jesus waited to the last day of the feast. I thought that Possibly Jesus knew that after the Feast of Tabernacles, they would 
not be fulfilled from this grand religious event that lasted from Sabbath to Sabbath, really a total of eight days, and they would leave empty, leave wanting more, leave thirsty. And as I studied, I concluded that without Jesus, we'll always be thirsty. We'll always be seeking some way to fill the void. When, when you look at this picture, you can say they have it pretty bad. They're, they're, they're hurting. They need water. And look at that water. It's not even that clean. When you look at this picture, you see a festive group of healthy people getting water, having a good time. This one we see a physical need, but we don't know where they're at spiritually. This one, we don't see a physical need, and once again, we don't know where they are spiritually. What Jesus is saying to one and all and to everybody is to come and drink of the living water because I certainly can't tell who here is spiritually weak, spiritually dying with my eyes. The hiker, David Bushkow, died with water within reach. The expert guides failed to give it to him. David didn't know to ask them. Jesus will not fail Jesus will not forsake us. Jesus is calling all and is reaching out as we sung. Jesus is calling loudly to all, all who thirst, come and come and drink. What are we waiting for? On that last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly will flow rivers of living water. There's really two things here that we see. And I, I want to make that clear. We have the call to salvation to anyone who thirsts. They know their need. They come to the source of life. They drink and believe in Jesus and they have satisfaction guaranteed. So uh, one part of this verse is the call to salvation. It's the gospel message. Thirst, come, drink. But the second part is a call to refreshment for the ministry worker, for those that serve in the body of Christ, 
This verse provides continual refreshment to a follower of Christ because verse 39, right underneath it says, but this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit has not yet been given because Jesus has not yet been glorified. And Jesus is speaking in verse 37 and 38. In verse 39, we have a little commentary by John where John is saying what happened on the day of Pentecost where the Holy Spirit came and overflowed in a person's life. There's one verse here that I I think is very um, sad is the verse uh, prior. And in verse 36 it says, What is this thing that he said, You will seek me and not find me, and where I am going you cannot come? Now, throughout the Bible there's verses that say, If you seek me you will find me. If you seek me, you'll find me. If you search for me with your whole heart. And that's in Jeremiah 29, verse 13. If you seek for me, you'll find me. If you search for me with all your heart. Here, the verse before, when people are going back and forth with him, not believing and rejecting him, he says to them in verse 34, you will seek me and not find me. And where I am, you shall not come. And then they started talking amongst themselves. What does he mean by that? And and when I read that, it's pretty sad. Because in other parts of the scripture, it's like, if you search for him, you're going to find him. And here it's saying, they're going to search for him, they're not going to find him. And you know why they're not going to find him? Because they're denying the spiritual thirst that they have. They're refusing to come to Jesus. They're refusing to take him in and to drink of him. On this great day of the feast, where there was three things they were looking for, how God provided for them. They were thankful that God provided for them 40 years in the wilderness. They were thankful that God was providing for them now. And they were thankful of the promise of the Messiah coming. And guess what? He's here, walking amongst, amongst them. But He didn't fit their mold, so they rejected him. So they're not going to find him. And let that not be us today that we put Jesus in some type of box where we think he's going to be a certain way. He's bigger than anything we can think of or even imagine. He's the, the Savior, the Redeemer, and he's everything you need. If you're thirsty, I am thirsty. I need fresh water, fresh filling from him every day. That fulfillment I find in his word. And I'm encouraging you to find it there too. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the living water. 
We thank you that you call us. I pray now, Father, if there is somebody here that is thirsty, somebody here that just needs a drink of of you, that they would even now come and drink. And in their heart of heart, even now, they would just cry out, just like the nation of Israel did in the wilderness when, when they were complaining. They would cry out and say, we, I, we've sinned, I've sinned, I've fallen short. And in their inner heart, they would just confess their, their failings. If that's you, I'd like to lead you in a prayer. If you would just say in your heart of hearts, Lord, I I know I'm a sinner and I've failed. I ask you and you alone to forgive me. I believe that Jesus Christ died and rose again from my sins and my failures. I trust in Jesus Christ as my Savior, my Redeemer, my Lord. I ask that you would come into my heart and quench my thirst and give me the ability to follow you all the days of my life. I ask that you help me to do your will. I, help, I ask you that you would help me with my unbelief. I pray this right now in your son's precious name.